Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here for Reinvent Yourself. And I have a very special person we're going to speak to today, a good friend of mine, Gretchen Carlson, who you might know of. And talk about reinvention. I call her the person that launched a thousand Me Too lawsuits. Um, I really feel like Gretchen, who was the first person who came out and had to sue, as she said, sue her boss for sexual harassment um, when she was at Fox News, really broke the barrier and broke the dam on what was going on for so many women in corporate life that they couldn't talk about. And she had the guts to actually say something and go after a boss. And since then, she has done all kinds of absolutely amazing, extraordinary things, which you'll hear about and you might already know about. But anyway, we're going to speak to her today about how she had the guts to do this, where that comes from, and how she's powered through her various reinventions since leaving Fox and having a very big, gigantic uh, news, what do you want to call it, tsunami around you. and. She is just an inspiration, I think, for all of us. And I think you'll be very, very pleased um, to listen to her. She's so down to earth. She's amazingly smart, charming, and honest. And so let me give you just a little bit of her background. She now calls herself activist and advocate for the Be Fierce movement. And she believes that every person deserves a safe and respectful workplace. She says she's working with people on Capitol Hill to make sure this right is guaranteed for all Americans. She has a New York Times best-selling book about her fight against sexual harassment at work. And she's now working with women across the country to tell their stories. She was formerly an anchor at Fox News Channel from June 2005 to June 2016. She had been an anchor uh, at CBS News and a correspondent for the Evening News. Her education was at Stanford University and the University of Oxford. And of course, you probably also know that she was a beauty queen at one point too. And she will tell us about how she grew up thinking she was gonna be a violinist. That was her first thing that she thought she was gonna do. So she is really one of those amazing people who took reinvention by the horns and made it happen. So. I'm really excited to bring to you Gretchen Carlson. So I want to welcome my great friend Gretchen Carlson to reinvent yourself. Gretchen, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Of course, it's always great to talk with you. And I love the topic of reinventing because my life has certainly been a lot of that. (laughs) So you certainly are a reinventor and not necessarily always by choice, right? And yeah. that happens to a lot of us. Um, we don't necessarily, as we, we used to say at More Magazine, someone will give you the opportunity to reinvent yourself, but you're like a, a Phoenix reinventor. Uh, well, um, thank you. I think that's a compliment. Although, you know, I guess with the, the latest reinvention in my life, if people are not completely familiar and that I sued my boss for sexual harassment at Fox News, uh, two and a half years ago. I mean, that's the kind of reinvention that you don't wake up. You don't wake up one morning and go, "Hey, I hope I put this on my resume someday." Yeah. Um, you know, with everything else that that we as women are trying to achieve, that probably was something that I had never envisioned 
for myself. Uh, but you know, I think it's it's a it's a true testament to how important it is, especially for women, to know that they are capable of reinventing themselves, no matter what their age is, whatever decade they're in, mm-hmm. and how many careers they've had, even if it's one or five. And I think for me, the constant has always been that if there's a challenge in my life in front of me, I go for it. And so whether that was a comfortable position or an uncomfortable one, like sexual harassment and having no idea what the hell was going to happen to me the next Mm -hmm. hour or the next day, I think it was that, you know, that ability to know that I've always worked incredibly hard, no matter what's in front of me. And that carried me through it, you know? Um, and, and some of that was innate in the way in which I, I think I would just came out uh, as a, you know, I was having a fire in my belly, but a lot of it was the way I was raised. And mm. a lot Can of it was, that? yeah. Talk yeah. About- I mean, and I hope anyone listening that if you're a parent that, that you're doing this with your kids, because it really, I think, put me on a trajectory to believe in myself, be gutsy and have confidence. And, and the world was just like in front of me. And that was because I had parents who, specifically my mom, who told me on a daily basis when she would put me to bed, she'd be like, you realize you can be anything you want to be in this world. And I would say, yes. And she'd say, but you also realize that that will come with a tremendous amount of hard work. And Mm. she would say, those are our expectations for you. That, you know, you've been given some talents in your life and we expect you to cultivate them. Mm -hmm. And 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 so it was, you know, when you're when you hear that mm-hmm. on a daily basis, um, combined with the fire in the belly innately, you know, one of the one of the best stories I love to tell was when I was in kindergarten, and I don't know why they did this back then. I hope I hope to God they don't do this in school anymore. I don't think they do, but they separated us into two groups on the first day of school, and the one group was the kids who could read, and the other group was the kids who could not read. Oh my and Lord. I know. And I erroneously got into the group that could not read, but I, oh my God. I, yeah, I knew how to read. So I went up to the teacher's desk three times that day and said, but Mrs. Grossline, I do know how to read. And she kept telling me to just go back and sit down. Not that she wasn't a, you know, a nice woman or a good teacher, but um, I don't know. And I was so upset about it and I can still feel myself running home from school that day and slamming the back door and, and screaming for my mom to tell her that I had been put in the wrong group. And she called the school and the next day I was in, in the right group. But I tell that story because first of all, what if I hadn't done anything? Right. I mean, it could have changed my entire educational path. It could have changed the way I looked at the world. Like, it could have changed that if I didn't stand up and speak up for myself then as a five or six year old, what was I going to be like at 12 or 20 or 50? Right. And, and so I think it's, you know, it's a really important message of how, how I was raised and what I was told to always know that I could be anything I wanted to be and to stand up and speak up and, and know that your voice matters. And so I hope parents listening are doing that with their kids. And was that also partly your personality, do you think? I think, you know, having raised two kids who were very different and some definitely seem to go off in that direction and then some don't. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's parental. I mean, I'm, obviously parents can um, cultivate that and suggest that and everything. But do you think that that was a lot of your sort of personality and who you are? Yes. And that, that's what I mean by some of it was the fire in my belly mm-hmm. that was there innately. You know, I still, I still have, have that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. interesting because sometimes, and I think especially as women, we put so much pressure on ourselves to, I hate that phrase, have it all. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's just, nobody says that to a guy, you know? Hey, right. I, hope, I hope you have it all. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> actually they just do, and then, but that doesn't include raising kids and, you know, putting together the whole family and all that. Um, and so it puts this ridiculous pressure and, and responsibility on the shoulders of women to supposedly, um, you know, have it all. But I, I, I think that even now in my life, I still feel that fire in my belly, and sometimes I wish I could turn it off. Yeah. You know, it would just be, um, maybe it would be easier to, to not want to get up every day and try to, to do something to make a difference. But um, yeah, so I think as women, we probably battle with that a little bit. If, if we have an active brain that's constantly <laughs> telling us to do more. Um, but I, but I, I think it's, 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 some of it's innate and then some of it is, is definitely the way in which we're raised and that confidence building early on. So parents need to get out there and say that to their kids. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who do have kids of all ages. And that's, that's a a great piece of information. And for the men as well, for raising boys as well, which I think we're in a kind of crisis for some of the the boys who have lived through the women's liberation, but now they're kind of being left behind wondering who the heck they are and where they go and what they do. You know, it's fascinating that you bring that up because actually in the last two years of all the work that I've been doing on empowerment for women and gender equality and all of that, what I've found out is that we actually do a really good job in this country of raising girls up. Look at where we're outpacing boys in college degrees and high school diplomas and even law school, I think at this point. But the real issue is what happens to young women when they get into the workplace. And, and that's why the focus of all of my work, and I think in gender equality in general, should be on boys. Yes. Again, it's an issue like we hear sexual harassment and we think, oh, that's a woman's issue. And that actually, by naming it that, we actually do a disservice to everyone because men tend to tune out when they hear women's issue. Oh, not, yeah. Not because they don't care, but they're like, oh, they're talking about their menstrual cycle. I don't have to deal with that, right? Right. And and then the other thing is, there's also sort of in society this negative connotation when we say something's a woman's issue. And so right away, we're battling with two negatives when we call gender equality or harassment, for example, a woman's issue. And the reality is that it's actually predominantly a man's issue. Right. They're doing the harassment. <laughs> right. Honestly. So, yeah. you know, we need to change the way that we're labeling this. We need to change the way that we're thinking about it and the approach that we um, are trying to tackle it with. And then for me and what I found out, it's actually how we raise our boys. It's, it's really about how we empower our boys to respect women and girls early on yes. so that they transfer that same respect like they would have for their mother into the workplace. So that that's what i'm suggesting now to to schools and to companies and to you know we really need to approach this completely the opposite of how we've been looking at it um you know for for a long time 
because we are doing a great job empowering our girls, but that's not the issue. The issue is if men don't, who still run most of the corporations, if they don't choose to pay women fairly and put them in positions of power, then forget it. Right. Like we can empower till, you know, forever and it won't right. make, it won't make any difference. Right. And I agree with you. And we had a similar um, experience when we did the first Bright Conference up at Columbia. And they called us when we were running More Magazine and they said, um, we want you to talk about women's issues in the workplace. And so we did. And we, it was the future of work. We brought four, three people to the stage, which were women, to talk about it. We were on the main stage. And when it came to our segment, all the men walked out of the room. Wow. Because they thought it's not my problem. It was I, so illuminating. We made the mistake of not putting any men on stage. That was our mistake. But we had no idea that everybody thought, it's your problem. We're going to have coffee with the guys. <laughs> so, right. Well, that, so that just proves exactly, yes. like, that. actually, that just, like, the hair just rose on my neck when I heard that. It's the problem. It's the problem. Yeah. It's our yeah. problem. So yeah. talk a little bit, Gretchen, about your reinvention and, you know, the struggle you went through. And you've reinvented a couple of times now since, since you left the, the news segment. Talk a little bit about what was tough about it um, and how you got through those tough times that people might relate to because they're going through the same kind of tough time. Yeah, so I've always admired young people who know what their passion is already in life. And, you know, some people just already know when they're in high school what their major is going to be, and they end up doing that. And, um, but the, for the majority of us, we are kind of all over the place. And we have a bunch of things that we're interested in. And so my life has always worked in mysterious ways and reinvention. So just quickly, when I was a kid, I was a really serious violinist. And that was going to be my career. And then I burned out. Mm. You know, I reinvented myself to, um, to, I was going to be a lawyer and I actually took the LSATs and um, knew they were good for five years. And then I got interested in television. And so I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I can still go back to law school at least for, for five years. Well, then I really liked TV and I kept working my way up. And then eventually I got to CBS and then to Fox well, then, like I said earlier, it's not like you suddenly say, wow, I hope one day I reinvent myself as one of the poster <laughs> children for sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, no, that was not on my list. But when, when I finally decided to, to make that jump, um, I had to seriously look at how am I going to reinvent myself when I'm over 50? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a crisis time for so many women Yes. When they're not the, the story happening across the nation at night. Um, and so I think the most important thing, as I've mentioned, was going back to my, my roots. But then also, you know, really just putting myself into the issue. I had so many people say to me, well, after your case settled, you could have just gone home and spent more time with your kids and your dog and your husband. That's right. That's right. You know? But right. I, I wanted to try to to tackle what it was. And even I didn't realize, Leslie, how complicated this issue is mm -hmm. to try and fix. Mm -hmm. And so it became like seven full-time jobs from mm -hmm. introducing legislation to, um, to writing my book, Be Fierce, to putting out my first um, documentary that was on Lifetime called Breaking the Silence, which talked about the every woman story, mm -hmm. uh, premiered a couple weeks ago. People can get it on the Lifetime app. Great. Um, 
to, you know, to speaking to boys' schools, to doing a college campus tour, to speaking to companies about how they can be more introspective and figure out, is their work environment really safe for women? And speaking to men about, are you going to pay women fairly? And so it's this, you know, there's not actually enough of me to mm-hmm. be invented to, mm-hmm. to fix this. But I think, um, you know, and also now I'm going to be going back into a reinvention of myself um, because I, I, my first love is to go back full force to TV. Oh, so what are you doing? Can you say? No, not, <laughs> not yet. But, oh, but I, I thought we were going to make news. No, I mean, well, I still have, so I have a production deal with Lifetime, which I'm, I'm so like, I credit them because they were the first one to, to be brave enough to, to hire me back. Because listen, what typically happens to women who, who come forward and complain about harassment is they never work again. Right. And I wanted to be that beacon of hope to other women that they could see that I could go back to my profession. So mm-hmm. I still have two more documentaries I'm making with Lifetime, but then in the process, I'm, I'm also really going to be focusing on going back to TV in an even um, bigger, innovative way. Um, so I think it's, it's my, my life story is, is sort of a testament to what reinvention is really all about. And to me, it just starts with that, um, that idea when you wake up every morning about, you know, knowing that you want to accomplish something that day and, and knowing that if you believe in yourself, you, you can. Um, and, and maybe it's because I've had so much experience at it, but mm-hmm. I hope that through my life story, people will be inspired to know that they can do it themselves as well. And what are the barriers that you faced besides age? Um, that you had overcome and that you said that once people do something like this, they're no longer welcome, right? You're, Mm -hmm. I guess you're considered, um, you know, difficult or, you know, a legit, what a legal risk or something like that. No one would say that, but they're, they're afraid, right? Oh yeah, no, of course that that's the, and those are the myths that continue to be promulgated, you know, that it's the, that the woman was the troublemaker. um, So let's just move her to a different division or, you know, there's something in our culture about wanting to protect harassers, and that's that's really what we're talking about here. Um, mm. And so, until we start changing that within within the workplace structure, and I think some companies are trying to be introspective on mm. that. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, other barriers. Listen, you you know me. I'm I'm short. Um, I have blonde hair. I'm from a small town in Minnesota. Those are all to me lovely things. But those also come with their own stereotypes. And, you know, I'll never forget the night before I decided to actually file this lawsuit. And my husband and I were standing in our kitchen in the wee hours of the morning. And he pretty much summed it up by looking at me and saying, well, because of all those factors, I think they totally underestimated you. Totally, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are women especially have a lot of those stereotypes that we have to try and overcome. Um, but when you add in the blonde hair, as you and I can relate mm-hmm. to, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I know you're not, you know, statuesque either, no. um, you know, short it's, you, dear. yeah, right. Short, short and powerful. But, but it's interesting because, uh, I have faced that my entire career. Oh, mm-hmm. and when you add in former Miss America to the resume, that just, that just blows up the bimbo factor. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. You know, so it, it's, I've, I've been, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I've been used to having to overcome those 
stereotypes and um and i and i want women listening to know that they should just shed all of those and any kind of um anger that they have from those because and people who who feel that way about you get them out of your life because um, it's not worth it's not worth trying to go to battle with people who are never going to change their opinions about you you only want to try to change the opinions of those who are actually malleable um and don't worry, women were, were so reared to be so damn nice to everybody. Yeah. And that is, that is also problematic because then in many cases, we don't say what we think and we don't stand up for ourselves. Um, and that's the number one message I give to young women now today is stop being so damn nice because mm. we have to all determine we're going to do that together. And then if we stand up and all mm -hmm. speak up and ask for the raise, it does, mm -hmm. it's not an anomaly. You know, mm -hmm. everyone's doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so there's, there's, there's so many things that I've learned over the last couple of years. Um, but, uh, but I think that reinvention has been something that's been a part of my life. So I just picked up the pieces when they all fell apart. Do you think oh, that, uh, sorry. Gretchen, or someone moving around? There's a little clicking sound. Oh, sorry. No, that stopped. Okay. Stop there. Yeah, just try to stay as still as possible. I mean, I know it's hard, but <laughs> no breathing, Gretchen. Okay. That's a lot of background noise. I'm sorry. Okay, continue. So, in terms of underestimating, I think that's a. I think some women have learned how to use that for themselves. I mean, it's too bad that we're in that situation, but I have seen um, some people who definitely go into meetings and completely. People think they're not getting it. They think they're not using it. They think they don't understand it. The guys don't. And they're completely shocked and surprised when the women come back with stuff they couldn't imagine because they're coming in underestimating them deliberately because of stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So I think at least that's something one can do. It's unfortunate that the stereotypes are there. But again, we have to work on the men not to have those stereotypes, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think also, you know, one of my favorite quotes is one woman can make a difference, but together we rock the world. Mm -hmm. And so kind of going back to what I was saying earlier is like determining that we're all going to do this together. Mm -hmm. It's so, so much more of a stronger voice. I mean, I would point to what happened with the Google walkout, you know, mm. it's, it's one, one person probably came up with that idea. Mm -hmm. But when they all decided to do it together, and by the way, men joined them, uh, that effect was monumental. And, and actually, it played into all the work that I've been doing with my legislation regarding arbitration clauses and employment contracts, because after that walkout, Google decided to take arbitration clauses out of their contracts. So they did. Good. They did. I didn't hear the resolution that. Okay. Yeah, they did. Uh, because, you know, arbitration keeps... Uh, cases like gender um, equality and and harassment secret for companies because you don't have to um, when somebody files a complaint and they get sent to arbitration rather than an open court system nobody ever hears about it and so that's how that's how these cases have continued on and on over the last twenty years since Anita Hill and nobody nobody knew about them and I think it was you know it was a way that society was fooled into thinking we had overcome all of this mm -hmm. we're hearing about these cases. It's one of the reasons I actually think that this whole movement has continued to press on 
is because the American public was angry. They were, they were angry to hear that these were, you know, ridiculous stories like the, the Weinstein allegations, that that kind of stuff was still happening in our society. They were like, well, how did we not know that? Well, because most of these cases are being settled in secret arbitration or in settlements, which are also secret and the woman can never tell you what happened. So there's, there's been a lot of movement on this front and with my bill, especially. Um, Where is your bill, Gretchen? Is it, is it coming anywhere or? Yeah. So we're planning to reintroduce actually uh, with the new Congress now. And oh, oh, great. Okay. Yeah, very hopeful because, and then I just wanted to point out that some major companies have decided to take arbitration clauses out of their employment contracts on their own, like Google, but Microsoft was actually the first company to do it right after I introduced my bill a year ago. Mm-hmm. And then Uber did, Lyft did. Wow. And then you had the Google walkout. So Google did, then Facebook did, then Airbnb did, then eBay did. So there seems to be this domino effect in the tech world. And, um, and then on the state level, uh, California actually passed it, but then it was vetoed by the governor. Mm. But New Jersey just passed um, a great new law that NDAs will not be allowed anymore in harassment cases. And so, in other words, you can't keep the stuff under wraps unless the woman wants to, which, again, mm-hmm. is how my bill reads as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so even at the state level, there's, there's a lot of effective work going on to, to make change. And I think it you know, to take it full circle, it goes back to that one person can make a difference. Mm-hmm. When we all collectively decide that we're going to stand up and say, we want to be paid fairly, we don't want arbitration clauses with regard to gender issues or harassment, um, that, that we can, we're seeing proof that we can make a difference. What um, can my listeners, because they're na- nationwide, what could they do to help with this bill? Is there anything in particular? Is there anything on a site you have that they can go and do something? Or is it really just in the process at this point? Well, they can certainly call all their members of Congress, uh, their state representatives and their two senators, and ask them to get behind the Ending Arbitration Act of Sexual Harassment, which is my bill. Um, like I said, in the next few weeks, we're going to uh, be in reintroducing it, but um, it tends to be more of a democratic issue that, mm-hmm. that uh, people are supporting. But, you know, when I go meet with, with Republican members of Congress, the first thing I say to them is, look, this issue is apolitical. You, you know, when, when somebody decides to harass you or treat you unfairly, they don't ask you what party you're in. That's right. So this is why we should all care about it. And it happens to all of us. And so wouldn't it be great if we could all come together on this issue and do something great for, for women and quite honestly, for, for men. So I'm really optimistic about it, but if people, they can easily call their, their state representatives and here's the best part. The bill is only three pages long. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to the healthcare bill, (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) which mm -hmm. is, you know, hundreds, um, Mm -hmm. an easy bill to get through. It's an easy bill to understand. It's very narrow in scope and it only, um, it only affects harassment and, and gender inequality um, and arbitration. That's is there a link to it on your site somewhere or where, where would we find yeah, a link? You can go to GretchenCarlson.com and easily find out about it there as well. Okay, good. So that's great. What do you say to all these men? Um, I'm sure you saw the recent articles where these men um, are talking about how now they don't want to be in an elevator with a woman alone. They don't want to be 
um, having dinner with anybody. My favorite was um, the piece, I think it was in Bloomberg. They reported that they didn't want to be out to dinner with a woman under the age of 35 alone. I was like, okay, excuse me. So you, so you can only harass people under the age of 35 somehow if you're older. It's not even a harassment issue. Mm-hmm. But um, they're, you know, it's basically, I, I was completely shocked by in an elevator. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Have you heard all that backlash stuff that's going on? Oh, Wait. yeah. You know, as I travel across the country, one of the main questions I get now is, isn't, isn't the Me Too movement almost over? You know, oh, haven't, wow. haven't we had enough discussion about this? And wow. I actually say, well, no, we're kind of just getting started, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and having an understanding. And I actually feel like like some of that commentary about um, the backlash is, is a cop out. It, mm-hmm. it really is when when people start feeling uncomfortable, they, they want a way out um, mm-hmm. instead of taking the issue head on and it's my greatest hope that companies will realize that this is not a passing fad. Mm. This is now a revolution and it's not going away. And so the, the, the best advice I could give companies is to, is to tackle this issue head on and become incredibly introspective and say, you know, are we doing enough? Because the answer predominantly is no, because we know what the pattern is still when, when mm-hmm. women have the courage and men to come forward they are promptly demoted, blacklisted, and fired. And while I think some of that has changed over the last two and a half years, I know for a fact it's still going on because I'm hearing mm-hmm. from thousands of women still with all same similar stories. Mm. And, and they're all as sad as the next, and, mm. but they're all eerily similar. And, mm. and I've also heard from companies that think that this is just a passing fad and that they don't really have to address this. And, wow. you know, I think, I think companies could make a great mark for themselves in the world um, right now by, by really making change on this issue. So many companies have decided over the last two years that they really want to have a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and, and not just advertise what they're selling, but mm-hmm. advertise with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those companies I applaud. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you saw the Gillette ad. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, that is taking a powerful, proactive stance. Mm-hmm. And they knew they were going to get backlash. And mm-hmm. I knew they were going to get backlash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but quite honestly, I don't think they care um, because they, they believe in what they were doing. And I, if you haven't watched that ad, I, I encourage people to watch it on YouTube. It was so emotional for me to see it because it's dead on about mm-hmm. getting men uh, involved. So, you know, so I hope that companies will not choose the cop-out um, route and decide instead to be introspective and proactive and uh, they could really be leaders um, if they determined to, to do it that way. How about what would you say to the men themselves who are afraid that, you know, they're going to, if, if they, that some woman is going to falsely claim um, that, you know, they were in an elevator with them and they were assaulted in the elevator or whatever. I mean, that's the thing that bothers me the most about all this backlash is, so what you're saying basically is that these women who came forward with real stuff, it must not have been real. It must have been invented mm. because, because if I can possibly be charged with falsehoods in an elevator, then 
it all must be false. Well, a couple thoughts. First of all, there are cameras in almost every elevator now, so mm-hmm. there would probably be be proof or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, the the statistics show that the number of women or men who make false claims is incredibly low, like three three percent. Uh-huh. And I would just add that based on somebody who has personally experienced this. Mm-hmm. You, this is not a decision that you just make overnight. Um, this takes an immense amount of time and, and courage building. And by the way, women who come forward with these claims until recently have been trashed mm-hmm. and, and taken to task with all those myths and mm-hmm. you're a troublemaker. And all. Like, why would somebody do that mm-hmm. if they, knowing they're going to ruin and bombshell their career, mm-hmm. why, why would they do that? Um, if they were, if they were false claims. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we just have to be honest with ourselves that the majority of these cases are probably real. Um, and, and I actually think the media plays into this a little bit because for example, with the Duke lacrosse case that ended up yes, being false, that was terrible. Yes. But it gave the media gave that so much attention. And so in yeah. the eyes of the general public, it made it look like, there are just as many false claims as there are real claims, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so as a member of the media, I can say this, that I think that was a grave mistake because while we were spending so much time covering Duke lacrosse, we weren't covering all the other real stories out there. Right. You know, nobody was covering sexual harassment stories that were, mm-hmm. that were real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's played into that narrative that the number of false claims are actually higher and more, more prevalent. Um, so awesome. And in, so we're going to close. We're at the end of our time here. And what I would love for you to give to our listeners, I mean, this has been completely amazing. They've got some things they can do already to help push this along, push legislation along. Um, they have your books. They have, we're going to follow you and see what happens with the other documentaries. What would you give somebody who's trying to reinvent themselves um, tomorrow they're either in the throes of losing a job or have just lost a job or they're going to be um, empty nesters and, and looking for transition. Can you give a few sort of tips and tricks for getting them going tomorrow? Yeah, sure. So I think that my number one tip uh, to women especially is to be open to risk-taking. We are, um, we are reared and socialized to not take risks, unfortunately and to sort of stay in a box and be nice, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have found from, uh, somebody gave me this advice when I was in my 30s, and I wish I would have gotten it um, earlier, uh, is that when, when you actually step outside of your comfort zone, and whatever that is, and take a small little risk, which is what I would recommend first, and mm-hmm. then you, you realize that after you put your foot over the ledge and it was okay and you survived, you build so much more confidence to do it the next time. And then you do it a little bit more of a step. And before you know it, you are really stepping outside of your comfort zone and you're becoming incredibly unique in who you are because you, you've challenged yourself in so many different ways. So that, that's the first thing. Um, second, I would, I, I would develop a passion for reading about others who have reinvented themselves. If you're, if you're in that journey right now, it can feel incredibly lonely and one of the ways in which I have empowered my own self is to read about other persons uh, who have reinvented themselves, men and women, 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and because it's inspiring and because you realize that you're not alone in your journey. And that I think is crucial to know that there are others doing the same thing at the same time. Did and the you last- have any, did you have a book or two that you'd wanted to recommend there? Is there anybody that particularly inspired you? Any books or? Uh, well, Brené Brown is like somebody that I okay. really am inspired by with, with all of her writing, but I would also just point out, um, female leaders in in general. I'm inspired by female political leaders mm-hmm. that have risen to the top. And unfortunately, those are in countries that aren't the United States as far as being president or prime minister. Mm-hmm. But um, so, you know, way back to Benazar Bhutto in Pakistan, unfortunately, she was assassinated. But you have two female prime ministers in Great Britain. You've had a female prime minister in Australia. You have Angela mm-hmm. Merkel in Germany. And, and so these are women that I have read their books and mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. How, and why has that not happened in, in the United States? Mm-hmm. My third point would be that I'm a huge believer in writing things down and, and note taking and challenging yourself by making lists. And I have post-it notes all over my house. It drives my family crazy. <laughs> but uh, when they, they, when they see a post-it note that's addressed to them, they're like, Oh no, what does, mom, <laughs> what does mom want me to do now? But uh, I make them all for myself too, because I think if you force yourself to write down what, what you need to do and actually try to cross off one of those things that you're mm-hmm. that has been on your list for forever and ever, I know we all have those mm-hmm. try and do one of those things at least one a week or one a month. You, the sense of accomplishment that you will feel about yourself is so immense. I know how I feel when I finally do something that I just have let linger too long. Yes. And so those are, those are sort of my, I could go on and on, but those are my yes. top three things. Those are wonderful. Thank you so much, Gretchen. I so appreciate you taking the time. I know you're crazy busy and I know that these listeners will be thrilled and they will be all over everything you're doing out there. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Leslie. Take care. All right. Ciao. So I want to thank all of you for joining us today at Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. What a talk. What an inspiration. I hope that if you enjoy this podcast, you will give us a rating. Please give us five stars. We need a rating so that people can see what we're doing and the podcast gets surfaced so other women who are trying to reinvent themselves, or it could be men, can find us. And if you have any questions for me, uh, or if you have any thoughts of people who would like to hear their reinvention stories, please send them to leslie at cubbyclub.com. It's L-E-S-L-E-Y at cubbyclub.com. And until next time, this has been really fun. Reinvent yourself. <laughs>